0: we've been uh, moving through the book of genesis and for those of you that maybe have this you're new to to hope or you haven't been around in a while and you kind of i want to give you a little context we i decided that i told you a number of times that understanding the book of genesis is key to understanding a lot of the new testament so i said well then i ought to put up or shut up i should teach through the book of genesis then if it's that important so that's kind of what we're doing so I started a few weeks ago going through the book of Genesis, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we went to Genesis 1 and then Genesis 2, and then last weekend, uh, uh, Nelson and Mark uh, taught through Genesis 3. And so I want to go to Genesis 4, but let me just give you a big, big picture story of what's going on so far. God created a perfect world. Uh, that he could, so that He could dwell with us. That was the point. He wanted to create a perfect place so that we could dwell together with Him. That's the essence, essence of what Genesis 1 and 2 is all about. But uh, the problem is, and as you looked at uh, last weekend, we talked about how uh, Genesis 3, that, that, that Adam and Eve, we can blame Adam and Eve. Some New Testament scriptures say that we we're all involved. But essentially, we made a wreck of it. We wrecked this perfect world. The human race is corrupted, and the effects of sin are ongoing and, and massive. That, uh, you know, some people say that that we're born with a clean slate. We're not. I mean, seriously, You, if you have had children, you learn very quickly that they learn stuff that you never taught them. They learned the word no and rebellion. And they learned that. You didn't teach them that. And you said, well, I had them in an isolated environment. It was just us. And they learned how to disobey. Where do they learn that? It's because they that we're not born with a clean slate. The earth itself, the physical universe, is now under the weight of sin, Romans says. And it groans under the weight. And we hear the groans when we hear of earthquakes and natural disasters. It's waiting for its day of deliverance so that it can be set free. So sin has wreaked havoc. Relationships are broken. Uh, Remember what happened when Adam and Eve first sinned. They began to hide. (laughs) They began to hide. Probably. And, And really, think about it today. A lot of relationships, in fact, most relationships, human relationships, what are we doing with each other? We're hiding, right? Aren't we? We're not telling people who we really are. We're not showing them what we really think. Why? Because we're afraid if they really knew who I was and really knew a lot about me, they may not like me. And if they don't like me, I don't know if I can deal with that. But we also hide from God. So, uh, But the in- amazing thing of all this, God makes this perfect world and then we begin to wreck it. But God enters into the wreckage he walks right into the midst of the wreckage. He begins to rebuild, which is incredible. So in our passage this weekend, we're going to see the dire consequences of sin, but we'll see God is pursuing us. He's pursuing sinners. So our passage this weekend is Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at just the first, and it's a a few verses. Genesis 4, verse uh, 1, and I'm going to go through 16 verses. And at Hope Church, we use the Bible. And it's not to brag, it's just to say that's kind of what we use. Because frankly, if it's up to me and you just want to listen to me talk, you may as well leave. Because I have nothing, really, anything to share with you. But the Word of God does. And if I get some of that to you and you take it in and you read the Word, there's some good stuff for, for all of us this weekend. So Genesis chapter 4, verse uh, 1 And it's on page 5 of the Chair Bible, if you want to follow along with me. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, "...with the Lord's help I have produced a man." Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for harvest, for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn of the lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. For now you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence, and you have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So our passage raises really three important questions that we want to try to address this weekend. Okay, The first one is this. Why was Cain's offering rejected by God? Now as you read through this, and maybe this is one of the first times that you've read through this passage, and you said, well, I wonder what the deal is. Why is it that one brother's offering was accepted and the other one was rejected? Now, we don't have a lot of context to determine why God rejected Cain's offering, but if we look closely, we'll discover a number of really important clues. Here they are. The first one is this. It says that, it says very clearly that Cain brought some of his crops. Some of his crops. Now, it, 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 it 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 says when we look at Abel, it says that he brought the firstborn, but it, it wasn't just the firstborn; it was the best. He brought the best to God. He didn't just bring some; he brought the best. And the contrast is for us to notice. that Cain brought what he had. Abel brought the best. He brought the costly. He brought the very best. Cain knew what he was was what he was required to bring. You know, you would say. Um, God says to him, if you know, he says, he says, you, you will be accepted if you do what is right. In other words, God is presupposing, you know what you were supposed to do here. You will be accepted if you do what I've, what I've required of you, but you're not. So it's very clear that, that Cain knew that his offering wasn't acceptable to God when he brought it. Cain knew what he was uh, required to bring, but didn't do it. Number three, we see Cain's heart wasn't in it. Um, He tried to approach God in a way that many people do today. Um, He wanted to come in the way he he wanted to come, rather than the way that God prescribed them to come. So what I'm saying here is, it's pretty clear that God said, if you come to me, you need to come with this. You need to bring this type of offering. And frankly, if you go to the book of Exodus, it's very clear. God points, you know, this very clearly laid out. You don't ever come into my presence only the high priest and only on a certain day and only with blood and only with the right and perfect animal, you know. And, And so God probably laid that out to them and said, this is how you approach me and this is what you need to bring. But Cain basically said, no, I'm going to bring what I want to bring. Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 4 says this. By faith, Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. So very clearly, the writer of Hebrews is looking at the story and saying, Abel and Cain both knew better, but Abel decided to follow God's plan rather than devising his own plan and how to approach God. Now, the application here is is really important for us because the same is still true today. There are many people and and people in this community that are saying, I'm going to come to God, but I'm going to come to God on my terms. I'm going to, you know, the, 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 the way that most people tend to try to come to God today is they try to say, well, I'm going to come to God on my terms. I'm going to do what I think God wants. I'm going to uh, work hard. I'm going to uh, believe certain things and maybe not believe certain things. I'm going to kind of make it up as I go along or maybe I'll follow a tradition. But either way, I'm going to work hard so that one day God will accept me. The majority of uh, religion is that. It's working hard or doing your best or doing what you think is prescribed to be accepted by God, you bring what what offering you think, and oftentimes you're bringing with the idea that one day you're going to stand before God and God's going to say, uh, "Why should I let you into heaven?" You say, "Because I did this, this, and this." You owe me. You owe me. I did what you, I did what I thought you wanted me to do. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Many, many will come to me on that day and they'll say, We cast out demons in your name. We did this in your name. And Jesus says, I, depart from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. See, a works faith faith which says I'm going to work hard I'm going to do my best I'm going to try my best I'm going to do what I think is right and, and I'm going to maybe not do what I don't feel like doing or if it's too hard or too demanding I won't do that I'll leave that out but I'm going to have a resume and one day I'm going to hand that to God and say you must let me in because look at all that I've done for you on the other hand Abel comes and he just embraces grace see when you're working hard to earn God's favor, you come to believe that God owes you. When you embrace grace, and I hope most of you, if not all of you, have embraced grace. You have, you have come to a place and realized you're absolutely lost and helpless and hopeless. And only if Jesus comes into your life will you ever find the forgiveness and freedom that he, only He can give. So you embrace His grace and you say, I'm already accepted not based upon what I'm trying to do or do, being good enough or going to church enough or whatever, believing the right things, but I'm, I'm accepted because of what Christ did because He came to earth, He gave His life for me, He died on a cross and He said, I love you this much, it is finished. And then as He gave His life to us, we give our lives to Him and we say, I embrace the grace that came from Heaven, from heaven to earth and I embrace that grace and now I'm accepted. And I realized that it's all on grace, that I needed a rescue party of one to come to earth to save me. So why didn't God accept um, Cain's offering? Because Cain came in his way, not in God's way. So maybe you're here this weekend and you're saying, I'm going to try hard, I'm going to work hard, I have a pretty good resume going, one day God's going to accept me and I just want to say, rip it up. Rip it up and say, I'm lost, I'm helpless, and I'm hopeless. And heaven sent a rescue party of one to earth for me, and he gave his life for me on the cross. Have you ever bowed before Jesus? Have you ever bowed for the cross and said, Jesus, I'm lost, I'm helpless, and hopeless. And unless you take away my sins, unless you pay the price, unless the, my sins go upon you, I'm dead. Have you ever called upon the Lord? The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever done that? Because that's where salvation comes. It doesn't come from you trying harder or doing more or believing in certain things. It comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Alright, the second question is how do we come to grips with the power of sin in our lives? Because he he makes a statement. It's really an incredible statement in verse 7. He says, Sin is crouching at the door eager to control you but you must subdue it and be its master. Now, how does sin crouch? He's almost personifying sin, right? He's saying sin has got these, this personality, this, this kind of evil force or whatever. Um, and what sin does is it makes you think it's smaller, less dangerous than it really is. Sin is just sitting there in the corner saying, don't worry about me. I'm just little old sin just sitting here. I couldn't hurt a fly. I wouldn't... I, you know and sin has done a pretty good job in our modern day society hiding hasn't it we don't talk about sin i mean sin is for the old holy rollers it's for the 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 people who are not scientifically enlightened it it, it is an outdated concept for our our modern world and it's so primitive that we're enlightened we've evolved we're, we've evolved we're educated we don't believe in sin anymore we live in a world that basic, our pop culture basically says, do what you think, you know. I mean, as long as you, you're not hurting anyone else, and even then, you don't know because most of the time, the things you don't think are hurting people are hurting people. But go, go live your life. Be happy, right? But God was saying to Cain, and He's saying to us, if you think sin is outdated, if you think it's powerless, you're dead because sin is a predator. Sin wants you to think it's powerless. It wants you to think that there's no danger. It wants you to think that you shouldn't worry about it. It's not an issue. And the minute you do that, it pounces. You won't expect it. You won't see it coming. It will just pounce. And then next thing you know, you're hit. It is going to sneak up and it's going to hunt you down. Kind of like what takes place on this video right here that I want you to watch for a minute that's what sin is you know hippos are some of the most aggressive animals in Africa when I went to Africa a number of years ago I talked to a missionary friend of mine and we were crossing the Niger river and we were riding on a boat with a with a with truck, and he says we got to watch out for hippos because hippos can hold their breath for for about five minutes underwater. They don't swim, but they can run, and they run and they will attack boats. Unprovoked attacks. They're probably some of the most dangerous animals. And you, you would look at them and say, oh, isn't that cute? The little hippo, right? And we make hippos pink, and they're cute, and they're cuddly. No, they are very dangerous animals. They can run between uh, 15 and 20 miles an hour, and they, unprovoked they will attack you, and they've killed a lot of people. A lot of people. But that's what sin does. Sin basically says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm harmless. I'm just a fuzzy little pink hippo. I couldn't hurt a fly. And the next thing you know, boom, you're dead. Maybe you're here uh, this weekend and you're thinking, you know, I wish this is good. I wish such and such was here to hear this. They need to hear this. I I wish they were here. Maybe I can... Maybe they can listen to it later on. No, no, no. See, that's what sin does. Sin sin also says, this isn't for you. This is for someone else. You know three people that would be. this would be perfect for. No, it's for you and for me. We all need to hear this because sin basically crouches and it waits for that moment and it strikes. And the moment it strikes, you're dead. You're dead. Sin crouches different ways in our lives. sin doesn't crouch in your life in the same way it crouches in my life we all have you know for instance we all have blind spots have you noticed that maybe you haven't because you don't you think you don't have them you know i mean that's why they call them blind spots because you don't see them and you know let me give you a couple of illustrations of blind spots all right because that's what sin does sin does it? Sin is so effective, it gets into your life and you don't even know it's there. And you can't even see it. And when somebody points it out, you say, that's ridiculous. Like, for instance, some of you struggle with bitterness and you don't even know it, right? You can't speak about certain people without hard, unkind words. You have angry words every time you think about them, every time their name is brought up. You are nurturing a root of bitterness in your life and you can't even see it. And you need help. You need somebody to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Every time this person's name come up, you're just like totally negative and you're, you're, you, you know, they said or did this. I get that, but you're allowing this to really take a root. And, and you might say, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. Or some of you are workaholics. You can't get enough of work you can't even see that it's, you're sacrificing things that you would never sacrifice. You, you work hard. It's not because you're making money or you want to make money. That could be one of the reasons. But essentially because you love work. You just love it. You just throw yourself in it. But in, this, in the midst of doing that, you're losing your family. You're losing your relationships. And if somebody were to say to you, you know, you love work more than you love your family, they'd say, that's ridiculous. Of course not. But it's true. You have a blind spot. You can't see it. You need a friend. You need somebody that you trust who can say to you, hey, I see this going on, man. Is, is this true? Is this happening? Is this, is this going on? Is, am I seeing this like I think I'm seeing this? Some of you are obsessed with fantasy. You allow your mind to go to dark places, immoral places. You fuel this fantasy world in your mind. And sometimes when life begins to come in and pressure you, you go to that fantasy place and you go to dark places. You see, Cain didn't just one day decide I'm going to murder my brother. There was an ongoing dark place that he went to, that it got to the point where God called him. And God is so gracious because God says to him, He says, Hey buddy, do you know where you're at right now? You Sin is right at your door. It is going to pounce. You need to master this because if you don't, a bad thing is going to happen. God graciously came to him. You see, we all need somebody like that. We need a friend. We need somebody who's going to come next to us and say, hey, I see this. Is this going on in your life? Because you need help. You can't see it. It's a blind spot. Psalm 19, verse 12 says this, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Well, how's God going to do that? Until somebody comes and helps you either through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, taking the Word of God to show your heart, or other people coming and saying, hey, I see this going on in your life. How are you going to ever do that? But if you're not availing yourself to the Word of God, if you're not allowing other people to come into your life that you trust and you're allowing them to say, hey, I see this going on. Is this true or not? Then how are you ever going to see the blind spots in your life? How are you going to do it? See, all of us have blind spots. We need others to help us see the blind spots. Catherine Chapel was visiting South Africa and she was an animal lover. She was on a volunteer mission to protect wildlife. 22-year-old American went on this safari and uh, she was taking photos in the car and the, the signs are very clear. We don't know really essentially what happened, but the signs are very clear not to open the windows of the cars. And many of the... Uh, the people who uh, know about animal behavior basically said that the, the lions and the animals there have become... Basically, they were afraid of the cars, but their, their fear of the cars is going away. So they're just sitting there acting as though, oh, I'm not going to hurt anybody. I won't do anything. This is, And the next thing you know, as she was taking pictures, a lion jumped in the window and killed her. Never expected it. God says to Cain and he says to us Sin is crouching in the corner. It will will it the minute you say it's docile, it'll never attack, it'll never it'll never come after me. It is tame, it's just a it's just a pink little hippo. No danger danger, danger, Will Robinson. And Paul even goes further. Paul says that sin can gain control over us over time. Where if you read part of Romans 7, Paul says, this, there's a power within me that sometimes becomes uncontrollable. It gets a hold of me that I'm doing things that I don't want to do. <laughs> Here's the third question. We'll close with this one. What's the difference between regret and Repentance. Does Cain repent? I don't think so. God comes to Cain and he says, Where's your brother? Now, did God ask that question because he didn't know? Oh, we, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We said God is omniscient, He knows everything. There's not anything that God doesn't know or hasn't known or will not know. I mean, He knows everything right, you know, that there is. So he's not asking Cain because he doesn't know. He's and he does, you know, he just he, you know, he, when he calls out to Adam and Eve it's not like he doesn't know where they are in the garden either. But he's doing it for a reason and he's doing it to 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 teach them. He is trying to help Cain see he wants to essentially what he wants to do is he wants Cain to see his heart. Where's your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? So, right there, Cain is, you know, God is forcing Cain to come to a place where he's seen his dark heart. That his heart is cold, his heart is dark, his heart is gone. And it's become very hard. And God says, the blood of your brother is crying out of the ground. Does that even bother you? Are you even concerned about that? Here's the thing you need to understand about sin. Sin never escapes God's attention. God knew before Cain was going to murder his brother that he was going to murder his brother. Could He have prevented it? Yeah. Did He? No. There's a lot of things that God can prevent, but He doesn't choose to intervene for one reason or another. Don't know that. Don't know the reason. You can drive yourself crazy with all that, but essentially it comes to a place where God didn't intervene, but knew that was going to happen. But after the fact, He says, His blood now is crying out from the ground to me. I didn't miss. You didn't think I was there, but I was. I see your sin. I hear your brother's blood crying out to me. So God sends Cain away, but but the, even in that, God graciously protects him. He protects him. He says, y- you know, I'll put a hedge about you. No one will touch you because that was one of his greatest fears. So even in the midst of Cain's dark, hard, uh, hard, uh, his dark heart and in and his uh, uh, rebellion against God, God still is gracious to him. But Cain didn't repent. He regretted the consequences of the sin, and, and there's a difference between because sometimes we think those are the same. They're not the same. To say that I regret doing this because now I see the consequences, so I'm am sorry I did it because I don't want to be in this situation is not repentance. That's regret. Regret and repentance are two different things. Let me give you an example of um, of uh, repentance. Repentance means that you're taking ownership and responsibility for your sin and its consequences. You don't blame someone else. You don't make excuses. You don't downplay the offense. You own it. You don't say, well, he made me. He said this. It wasn't so bad. It's not a big deal. You just say, I did it. I'm responsible. I'm owning it. it. It's all on me. The mark of a repentant person is you're more concerned with your sin than with your punishment. Cain was concerned about his punishment. He didn't care about his sin. He didn't talk about regret over what he did with his brother. He's concerned about what, what does this mean for me moving forward? Not a word about his brother. So the mark of a repentant person is you're more concerned with your sin than with your punishment. Uh, a great example of this is the thief on the cross. Remember the story Jesus is hanging on the cross, and two thieves are on either side and uh they begin to uh basically join the crowd and mock jesus and one of the one of the thieves says this he says this he says he says uh I'm looking for the quote here. He says, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. In other words, what he's saying is, we're responsible. It's all on us. And I believe this is a statement of repentance. And he looks to Jesus and he says, Jesus, when you go to your kingdom, remember me. What did the other thief do? As far as a record, the gospel record, nothing. And that's the difference between repentance. Repentance is more concerned about your sin than the consequences. <clears throat> Matthew twelve twenty four says this. Uh, excuse me Hebrews twelve twenty four, and you might want to turn there because it's kind of an interesting passage and I want to close with this it's on page 928 of the chair bible uh Hebrews twelve 24. it's got a, a kind of a strange statement remember the statement that God makes to uh, Cain is this your brother's blood is crying out to me it's crying out to me I hear his blood from the soil But notice what the writer of Hebrews 12, 24 says, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. What he's saying here, the context here is God is the writer of Hebrews is writing to Christians, followers of Christ, and he's saying you have a new covenant, you have a new agreement with God, you have come to Christ through his blood, you have come to Christ through his blood. And he says this, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and his people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. What the writer of Hebrews is taking the thought is he's saying the blood cries out. The blood cries out. Abel's blood cried out against his brother Cain. Right? Now the writer of Hebrews tells us that the blood also cries out, but it cries out in a very different way. Abel's blood cried out in condemnation. Christ's blood cries out in forgiveness and grace. The sprinkled blood of Jesus sets us free from the judgment and from judgment and condemnation. When we, we, we talk about being under his blood, what we mean by that is that, that His blood covers our sin. When judge, judgment, when God's judgment comes to us, Christ's blood cries out for us. His blood was shed for us. Cain's blood, uh, Abel's blood, cried out and said, the murderer Cain. The blood of Christ cries out, the forgiven. The forgiven. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is under his blood. So when the, when the judgment of God comes, it's under the blood. Remember, uh, we'll read about that in the book of Exodus. When you go through the book of Exodus, you see the, the Passover. And the Passover, the blood was on the doorpost. And they were told, you need to take a a perfect animal. And they had instructions. They couldn't just do what they wanted, paint it red. It had to be blood. It had to be uh, firstborn. It had to be spotless. And they would sacrifice the animal and paint the blood on the doorpost. And it was said that if the blood is on the doorpost, the angel will pass over because of the blood. And the judgment of God passes over us. We are under the blood. But it didn't pass over on Christ. When Christ hung on the cross, He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The wrath of God poured down upon Christ. He took the wrath for us. And because He shed His blood for us, when when God's judgment comes to us, His blood covers us. His blood cries out, forgiven, forgiven. So two questions. I close with these two questions. Are you under His blood tonight? I'm not asking if you're trying to be a good person and live a good life and be better than most and go to church and, and, and believe in God and all these other things. That's not what I'm saying. Are you washed in His blood? Has there ever been a time we have called upon the Lord? You said, "I'm my sin is more than I can handle. I, I can't overpower it. It will always overpower me. And only as I come under the blood of Christ will there be forgiveness, will there be power to overcome sin. That's what the New Testament says. The only way that we have power over sin is when we're under His blood. Have you called upon the Lord? I want to lead you in a prayer because maybe you're here tonight, this weekend, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. And I want you to make this an opportunity that if you haven't, tonight will be the day. And I'm not going to ask you to come forward afterwards. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. This is between you and God. Let me lead you in a prayer. Father, I pray that uh, if there's anyone here uh, this weekend, whether it's here at the Kennedy campus or at the UD campus, and they've never called upon the Lord, they've never asked Jesus to come into their life and to be their Savior, um, they're trying hard, they're doing their best, but they realize maybe for the first time that for salvation can only come through Jesus by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Father, Your Word tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, it may be that there are some that would want to pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I realized for the first time that I, I knew I was a sinner. There's no, I didn't have to be uh, convinced of that. But I've been trying to save myself. I've been trying to be good enough. I've been trying to bring my own offering. And I realized that that offering is unacceptable. And the only offering that would be ever accepted was when heaven came to earth in the form of a man, Jesus. And when He climbed up on a cross and willingly gave His life and shed His blood, Father, I realize that without a sacrifice for my sins, I'm dead. And I will never overcome the power of sin. Sin will always win. I ask Jesus to come into my life tonight. This weekend. Right now where I'm sitting. That He would come into my heart and come into my life and be my Savior. He gave His life for me on the cross. Now I give my life to Him. And I thank You, Jesus, for those who prayed to receive You into their lives, that You have come into their lives and You have forgiven them and they are under Your blood and they have been washed and they have been forgiven and they begin a new life with You this weekend. For those of us who have prayed this prayer, Father, maybe uh, we prayed it a long time ago. May we not play with sin. May we see it for what it is. Hopefully Your Word has exposed it for the predator that it is. May we bring Your Word into our lives and others that we trust who can help us to see the blind spots that we have picked up so that our heart will never become so hard that we would say, Am I my brother's keeper? Thank you, Father, for giving us the ability to overcome sin because of the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, who shed His blood on the cross. And thank you that His blood cries out for those who are under His blood forgiven. We rejoice in that and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.